0: It still makes me laugh, even though I've heard it too many times to count, um, the first reading that Mary Welker Haddock read so well for us, this most unusual experience in which the Spirit of God descends upon the disciples and the others who are gathered there in that room. And this visionary experience, the tongues of of red flame resting upon them, and suddenly these these Christians are speaking in other languages, but the, the miracle that happens, the remarkable thing that happens is that all of these languages are somehow understood. It's confusing. People who are witnessing this ask, what does this mean? And one theory is proposed. They're drunk. But Peter says it's too early for that. It's the 8 a.m. right 1 Eucharist. <laughs> We've been praying too much, not drinking too much. It's a great question, though. What, what does this mean? We stand amazed, but what does this mean? And I think that's the question for us this morning in light of all of those readings. What does this mean? I can't help but to think about what it means by thinking about other stories, stories of, of, of similar experiences, not exact replicas of what went on in the first Pentecost. I don't know literally what went on at the first Pentecost, but I do know something about similar stories and similar experiences, and I know many of you have had them. About... Oh, 15 or so years ago, I was in my first parish in the Diocese of Alabama. I was in this town called Decatur, Alabama, and the county was seeing an explosion of Hispanic or Latinx people coming into the county. At the diocesan headquarters in Birmingham, they wondered if our parish should launch a, a Latinx mission. And they found out that I had taken Spanish a year or two during college, so they sent the the Latinx missioner to help me brush up on my Spanish and to do a little bit of research about whether that could be a a good mission for for the parish where I was serving and for that county. The brushing up of my Spanish didn't go so well, so they decided to send me to a 10-week language immersion in the Diocese of Cuernavaca. The, the church, um, the Anglican church in Mexico is, is, is small but, but mighty, you know, not nearly as large as the Roman Catholic church. And the Diocese of Cuernavaca at the time, and I think they still are, hosts a lot of uh, Americans uh, and a lot of American priests to brush up on their Spanish. So I went for 10 days. They asked me in advance how much Spanish I wanted to take, and I said, give me all you got. And they said, okay. And so what they did is they put me in Spanish. I I had breakfast on my own. And then the moment I walked into the diocesan headquarters, which is where the classes were, I had a Spanish tutor. You would do three hours in the morning. You would do lunch with the bishop, all in Spanish. The afternoon, the evening with a host family, all in Spanish. And then you'd work on your homework at night. Two or three days in, I realized what a what a terrible mistake I'd made. In all seriousness, because I was physically and mentally exhausted, I, I had bitten off way more than I could chew. I should have said, I should have, shouldn't have told them I had any Spanish in college. Um, and it was literally and physically and mentally exhausting for a few days. The host family was wonderful, and they had um, the mother had had two daughters. They're about about 10 and eight, and on the fourth night, we were continuing with our ritual, which is the mom would go to bed, and we would all do our homework together at the dining room table, and on about night four, the mom was in bed. The children were under orders um, that, that we were only to practice homework and not really talk much between the two of us, and at a point of real exhaustion, I'm sitting there doing my homework, And the 10-year-old looks at me and says kindly, Spanish is hard for you, isn't it? I had no idea she knew English. It was the sweetest thing anybody's ever done for me. And for the rest of the trip, they didn't tell their mom, and I didn't either. When she would go to bed, we would talk in English for the rest of the night. The other thing that happened that was really remarkable is going to, to to church at this little parish church, and of course the mass was entirely in Spanish. I'd met the priest. Um, and I sat down, and this was about seven days into the trip. And I, I got there pretty early. And and honestly, it was my first time to go to a, an Episcopal Eucharist in another language. And I sat in the back of the church. It was doing better, but I was still pretty exhausted. And pretty homesick. And I sat in the back of the church and I watched people coming in, just like you. I watched families come in. I watched couples come in. I watched young at heart people come in. I watched kids come in. I watched people come in who knew one another. I watched people come in who were strangers and didn't know anybody. And I saw people gathering, gathering. And even though I didn't know the language, I knew exactly what was happening as people were gathering. And I heard the Bible stories in Spanish. And I heard the priest and the people and the musicians going in and out of silence and music, in and out of prose and poetry, in and out of petition and praise. And even though I didn't know the exact words, I, I could feel, I knew what was going on. And of course I knew what was going on when they took not words but bread and wine and pesos and other gifts up to the altar where it was all blessed and all given away, and then we were all sent out to return to whence we had come or to go to new places. And even though I didn't know the words or the language, I knew the ritual and the actions, and it spoke on a level deeper than words. This is what the Spirit of God does. It gathers the people. I don't know literally what happened on the first Pentecost, But all of us, or many of us, have had similar experiences, similar stories. What the Spirit of God does is it gathers us across remarkable differences. And What the Spirit of God does is it gives us the ability to look into one another's eyes and faces and recognize one another, recognize our mutual hungers, recognize our sense of humor, recognize our joys, our sorrows, all that we carry, see in one another a mutual humanity of people who are hungry, hungry for community and hungry for God. I don't know what literally happened on that first Pentecost, but we've all had similar experiences, and it's really, I think, at its best, at its heart, what Pentecost is is the miracle of the church. The miracle of the church. We could all have a laundry list this morning of things the church has done wrong. We could all have a laundry list this morning of the church's brokenness and our own brokenness. But at its best, when we're open and transparent to the Spirit of God, when we bring our full humanity to this, the church is a miracle that unites us across a dizzying range of experiences and language languages and even beliefs one of the things i learned on that trip is that the episcopal church is a part of 41 provinces throughout the world throughout the world, and these provinces throughout the world are largely nation states. You've got the Episcopal Church in Sudan, of course in the Church of England and Scotland and in Mexico, but just throughout the world. And if you and I were walking into another church throughout the world this morning, we might not understand the language, but if we're open to the spirit and pay attention to what they're doing, we will recognize in their faces our own joys and sorrows and hungers. I think that's the miracle of Pentecost. It also help us, helps us to recognize our own souls. One time I heard a dad say to his son at a very poignant occasion in the son's life, I know why you're fantastic. I see it now. You've got soul. It was really, really sweet to see a dad say that. I loved it. But also know that we can say that to anybody. We can say that to ourselves. There's a remarkable book called After Whiteness, written by Willie James Jennings, in which he says, and I'm paraphrasing, everybody has a soul and every soul has a body. I think that's the miracle of Pentecost, too, that it helps us look below the surface of our lives, others in our own, and see the depth and the texture and the richness, even the spirit of God. It is within each and every one of us. So I think one of the things that leaps off the page of this Pentecost reading is the fact that how you and I imagine and experience God, how you and I imagine and experience God, has everything to do with how you and I imagine and experience other human beings, how we imagine and experience human community. If you and I imagine and experience a God who has incredible breadth, who has incredible creativity, who has just just a dizzying array of, of, of love, whose love is, is sourced for all, if you and I imagine a God that that's, is that generous and that big, we immediately imagine that it's possible for a community to be, to be that generous, that broad, that diverse. This is the miracle of Pentecost, that the Spirit of God unites a dizzying array of people on a deeper level than mere surfaces. At the 1030 service, we have 18 baptisms. Did I get that Sixteen. I rounded up. What's the difference between eighteen and sixteen? We have sixteen baptisms, um, which may have made some of you happy that you came to the eight (laughs) a.m. Sixteen baptisms is going to be wonderful. And one of the things we'll say to each of those people baptized is, "You are," and we could say it to you. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism. You are sealed by the Spirit. And what being sealed means is is that something permanent is happening, something unchangeable, something forever and eternal. And it's that the Spirit of God is in you as an entire divine gift. You are sealed in the Holy Spirit, and nothing can ever change that. And may we remember on this day of Pentecost that as we experience the Spirit and imagine it, Let's let it change how we imagine and experience human relationships everywhere. Our relationship with our own self, our relationship with our family and friends, our church, our neighbors, our coworkers, you name it. Yesterday at the ordinations here in the cathedral, we sang one of the most ancient hymns in the church about the Holy Spirit. And I think it's just one of the best prayers ever, especially the first lines. It's fitting for this morning too. Come Holy Ghost, our souls inspire.